Calls continue to grow for Mayor Bill de Blasio to exert pressure on his police department and fire Daniel Pantaleo, the white officer who placed Eric Garner in a fatal chokehold in Staten Island in 2014. The Justice Department announced Tuesday it would not be seeking federal rights charges in the case, despite video evidence. An administrative ruling over Pantaleo's future with the NYPD is not expected until April 31st. As reported by the Indy, protesters made their way to Pantaleo's Staten Island home in the bedroom community of Oakwood Heights on Wednesday, where officers rebuffed attempts to confront the cop. Wednesday's protest, which also included a march to one police plaza, were the first of what activists are calling 11 days of rage. Multiple demonstrations and civil disobediences are taking place across the city. Garner uttered his famous last words, I can't breathe, 11 times as Pantaleo choked him to death with the help of other officers. This is Reverend Kirsten John Foy addressing reporters on July 16th have not paid a high enough price for the destruction of black and brown lives and our integrity and our faith in law enforcement. So for the next 11 days, this city is going to pay a price. Let's go. This city is going to pay a high price. Wherever you go to your museums, you're going to find us blocking your way. Let's go. Wherever you go to the airport, you're going to find your highways jammed up. Wherever you go to spend money to keep this city running, you're going to run into the righteous indignation right of all of New York City. Talk about it. This family has paid a price. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. promise you, Mayor de Blasio, because of your abdication, of your moral responsibility and obligation, New York City has not finished paying its price. No justice, no, no peace. peace, no justice, no peace. And joining us now to discuss the Eric Garner case is Reverend Kirsten John Foy, the man you just heard. He's the founder of the social justice organi organization, Arc of Justice, and he's been working with the Garner family to orchestrate these 11 days of rage in response to the Justice Department's decision not to press civil rights charges against Officer Daniel Pantaleo and over Pantaleo's continued employment. Can you believe that? Continued employment with the NYPD. Thank you for joining us, Minister. Well, thank you for having me. I uh, appreciate your uh, uh, commitment to getting the voices of the marginalized out there and appreciate the opportunity to get Wayne and her family uh, voices out there and heard by the people. Excellent. And um, Mayor, Mayor de Blasio has said that the best way to achieve justice for the Garner family is to ensure that what happened to Eric never happens to anyone else ever again. But I take it the, the family doesn't feel that that's enough. No, not at all. And that's a very low-hanging fruit. It's a very low bar. It's a very low standard that the mayor has set for himself. The best way to ensure justice for Eric Garner is to hold the individual accountable for his murder and his killing. Um, uh, accountable, I'm sorry, to hold the individual responsible for his murder and his killing accountable. Mm. We cannot allow the mayor to kick the can down the road to erect all kinds of phony and, 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 and fraudulent obstacles for administrative justice in front of himself and then say, oh, uh, I didn't have the power, I don't have the authority, uh, and then five years later say, mea culpa, mea culpa, I'm sorry, I, I had too much trust in the Trump administration and the Justice Department. There have been too many excuses that the mayor has 
uh, place forward and advance to absolve himself from the ultimate obligation and responsibility to protecting the people of the city of New York and ensuring that administrative justice happens, whether it be in the Eric Garner case or any other case, but specifically with the Eric Garner case, for five years, Mayor de Blasio has, has abdicated his moral and his, uh, I would argue, his fiduciary responsibility as the executive of the city mm-hmm. of New York for protecting all of us from all harm and, and all threats to public safety, including employing uh, police officers that have no regard for black life and no regard specifically in this case for Eric Garner's life vis-a-vis uh, Daniel Pantaleo. Yes, and, and, uh, and if you could tell us a little bit about these days of rage. I mean, I, I, it sounds like you're at a protest now. Uh, what's going on? And, and uh, folks that are that are hearing this call to, to uh, come up and stand out, stand up for justice and call for Pantaleo to be fired, how do they plug in? But uh, what's going on now? I can hear chants in the background. Yeah, so, so well, well, I'm actually um, uh, meeting with some folks now. We're outside on 42nd Street. I don't want to give too much information away, mm. but I have a surprise for you. I'm standing here with Governor, former Governor David Patterson, who is a huge supporter of the Garner family, a huge advocate for social justice, and he, uh, and he has been vo- very vocal around the, the absence of a justice and and he'd like to say a few words if you and your listeners wouldn't mind hearing from former governor david patterson oh of course yes yeah, we only have a few moments but uh that sure, that'd sure. be that'd be really well special. he could have all my time He's oh, governor. okay thank, all right thank you reverend mr patterson well, thank know. you for joining us well it's great to join you uh, i don't know what i can add to what kirsten said because he is clearly the person who lays down exactly what the issues are these days but i will say this mm. I was surprised that some of our great leaders didn't even understand some of the facts in this case. When you see Eric Gardner, when you show on the video, when he says to the cops, no, no officers, not today. And first of all, he addresses them as officers. He shows respect. Mm -hmm. No officers, not today, not today, because he was not there selling cigarettes. He was there to break up a fight. The police call was about a fight. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about some guy selling cigarettes outside the place. And the officers knew him, and they knew that he had been arrested 17 times for selling cigarettes without an incident. He never protested. He's trying to say, hey, guys, today I was here in a different capacity. And in the middle of the conversation, and the one officer, I'll give him credit, seems to be listening to him. And then Pantaleno jumps on his back and starts choking him and choked him to death. That is a murder. That's and and yeah, but that's a good point. There were other officers involved, and they have not felt uh, they have not encountered any retribution. Uh, Pantaleo seems to be the only person, even though he was aided by other officers. Well, um, the other you officer f- was sitting on him. I could yeah. see why he can't breathe because they're sitting on him. And, and do you, do when you feel De Blasio and complaining? They did absolutely nothing about it. And do you feel de Blasio, um, you know, he's called for due process, noting that Pantaleo is a civil servant. But do you think that has more to do with politics than it does with actually uh, a respect for, you know, the, the civil servant uh, process? I mean, if the NYPD well, listen, wanted to fire I, him, they could have, eh? Uh, uh, I think it was August 23rd, 2014, when we had the first march. I went to the march. I spoke. I said, somebody needs to go to jail. Mm. De Blasio had done the same thing. And, and by the way, I did these things when I was in office relating to the Sean Bell case. Mm. So it's not like when I became governor, I was afraid to actually, I actually invited Sean Bell's family to come visit me when the verdict went the wrong way. De Blasio sat back. I won't say that he was a negative, but his inaction 
demonstrates to me he wasn't really a positive. And then when they protested in front of the mansion, uh, and I was at the mansion because they had the uh, Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce event that night, he went out and talked to them. He said, well, the protesters outside are welcome inside. Well, guess what? They didn't come in because they didn't feel welcome, not because you want to go out and try to sweet-talk them at the last second, but because you haven't really been a voice on this issue for a long, long time. Mm. So my view is uh, Mayor de Blasio is not the problem here. Uh, I, I think that Mayor Blasio, Blasio just chose not to be part of the solution. Well, well, thank you, Governor. And I, I expect over the next couple of days and going forward, while we await the administrative decision from the NYPD, calls are going to continue to grow for Pantaleo to be let go from Absolutely. the police well, force. Well, let me let Kirsten have the last word here. That was very kind of yes, sir. Uh, well, uh, Kirsten, I want to thank you for joining us. And, uh, uh, and where uh, uh, folks can follow you on Twitter, I guess, to keep up with these eleven uh, days yes, of rage. Uh, yes, uh, please follow me at, uh, at on Instagram at Kirsten John Foy on Twitter at Kirsten John Foy or Arc of or at Arc of Justice A R C of Justice J U S T I C E, and you can you can. Um, you know, be connected into our 11 days. And I want you to listen to this. This is not 11 sec- consecutive days. Um, we are being very strategic. We've got mm. folks all over the place. But but uh, don't look for this to be over in the next, you know, seven to eight days. We have, uh, we have a whole lot to get off of our chest, and we want the city of New York to, to, uh, to hear Gwen's voice and the Carr family's voice and to share the pain that they have had to endure and bear alone for the last five years. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. All right. Uh, I guess we'll have to be moving right along to our next segment. Uh, pretty intense broadcast we have for you this evening, folks. A lot going on around the city, not just thunderstorms uh, and, and blackouts. Um, we turn now to a recent spate of cyclist deaths that has transportation advocates alarmed. So far, there have been 15 NYC cyclists uh, killed in traffic-related incidents in 2019, five more than in all of last year. And earlier this month, cyclists staged a die-in in Washington Square, and they're calling on Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, who's made fighting traffic fatalities a top priority of his administration to do more to protect cyclists. They're also demanding the NYPD do more to enforce the existing laws on the books. Joining me now to discuss how we can put a stop to these killings on our roads, I am joined by Tom De. DeVito of Transportation Alternatives. Uh, he's the Senior Director of Advocacy there. And by Bill DePaola, De, De he's the founder of Time's Up, a bicyclist organization and executive director of the Museum of Reclaimed Urban Spaces in Alphabet City. Thanks both for joining me. Thank you, Peter. Bill, you there? Thank you. Hey, Bill, yeah. how you doing? How's your cold going? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm having a little sore throat. Uh, great, so... Um, uh, cyclist deaths have been going down in recent years, and I think everybody agrees the city is generally now safer than it's been. Um, but what's accounting for this uptick in traffic uh, fatalities? I'd like to put that to, to you both. Tom, would you like to go first? Sure. So uh, Vision Zero uh, is a policy that the mayor adopted when he was first elected into office. Uh, the underlying goal of Vision Zero is to reduce pedestrian, cyclist, and driver fatalities to zero. Originally, it was by the year 2024. Uh, that goal uh, has kind of fallen off the wayside a little bit uh, for the exact timeline uh, from, uh, we haven't heard that date in a while. 
Uh, that said, the policies that come with Vision Zero include expanding uh, protect protected bike lanes, uh, expanding pedestrian plazas, retiming lights, uh, generally uh, making sure that our streets work for people first and not for motor vehicles. Uh, what accounts for this troubling uptick this year? Uh, it is complicated, uh, but uh, we strongly believe uh, the eye was, uh, was taken off of the ball. Uh, Vision Zero um, has up to this point been pursued in a bit of a piecemeal fashion, a street redesign here, a street redesign there, mm. as opposed to a systematic approach to uh, committing to reform all of the most dangerous streets in a uh, predictable, uh, planned manner. Mm. Um, we also know that uh, the for cyclist deaths, 90% of them happen on streets without protected uh, bike lanes. Hmm. Uh, so we need to make sure that we are expanding that network uh, much more quickly than we're currently doing it. Uh, we need to make sure that that network connects with one another. Right now, we have a series of protected bike lanes all around New York City uh, that are disjointed, that don't connect with one another. Um, and the bike lane network is really only as strong as its weakest link. Mm. Uh, so that needs to be a priority. And Bill, is there anything you want to add? And, and maybe you could also fill us in in sort of the history of uh, the bicyclist activism that's been, that's you know, really led to the bike lanes being there in the first place. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think this is all kind of connected a little bit to the history. Because basically, it's a really big success story. Um, but one part of the success story is the police control the streets so even though the politicians are all, you know, really excited about the new sustainable infrastructure, and certainly, you know, you can't, everywhere you look now, you see greenways, bike lanes, auto-free plazas, just amazing things, and tourists are flocking to the city. But there was a war, and the war went on for over five years, and it became this war of the bicycle community and the police department. And I don't think the police are really forgetting about that war, uh, I mean, that war, and what you hear a lot from the cyclists is that they just don't feel respected by the police, and when they get into an accident, they don't feel the police reports are being, you know, taken exactly correctly. And they're always blaming the victim, blaming the victim. Every time there's an incident, right away, uh, the bicyclist wasn't wearing a helmet, the bicycle wasn't in the bike lane. And then, and here's where the policy gets strange, um, in the days following a lot of these recent incidents, instead of the police Instead of trying to work with the cyclist community, they started to immediately ticket cyclists in the area where the person was killed, which, which really gets wild on social media, and, and people get so upset about this. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, like, let me just interject there. Uh, you know, yeah. you're mentioning how they're not taking cyclists' lives seriously. There's this case of Robin Heitman, a 20-year-old bike courier struck by a truck. I believe at the end of June, maybe it was early July, excuse me, and um, the driver fled the scene, and uh, he, but he was not charged in Heitman's deaths. Uh, Tom, do you want to weigh in? I mean, are the police taking uh, cyclists' lives seriously? Aren't, aren't there existing laws on the books they could be uh, enforcing? Um, they certainly can, and, and I would be remiss, too, to point out uh, how the NYPD has uh, pursued a draconian crackdown on working cyclists writ large. Mm. Uh, this goes back uh, two years. Where uh, These are a lot of immigrant workers or precarious workers uh, in the food delivery industry. A lot of uh, extremely vulnerable populations where any kind of interaction with the NYPD is vastly uh, kind of the, the risk factor uh, uh, is dramatically higher um, than it is for other certain populations. Mm. 
Um, so the NYPD uh, certainly has an extremely troubling uh, and troubled uh, history uh, taking traffic violence seriously, uh, first of all, uh, and then in many cases making it worse. Um, you know, we see some of the worst uh, violators of blocking bike lanes, for example, uh, parking on sidewalks are vehicles with placards, often uh, uniformed uh, police officers. Uh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there is a, a lot of work to be done, um, and uh, we really need to make sure that this mayor is pushing the NYPD to uh, take responsibility and do what they're supposed to be doing. Great. Well, um, we're running out of this time in this segment. I want to get to Jamani Williams, public advocate. He's really supposed to be joining us in a few moments. But, Bill, uh, I understand you are... Uh, there's going to be a critical mass uh, bike ride yeah. coming up, old school right. style Paper protest. Paper streets is critical mass. So that was pretty much, I mean, there was tons of things by advocacy groups like Time's Up, Transportation Alternatives, that really helped create biking in New York City. It wasn't just that biking happened. There was a lot of advocacy. And one of the big group bike rides that really created more bicyclists and pushed the city for the infrastructure was a critical mass bike ride, which happens in over 200 cities around the world. And it's kind of a celebration of what we like our streets to be. And it's going to come up uh, this Friday, 7 p.m., Union Square Park North. And this was the ride that really changed the whole city. For a lot of the new bicyclists, they don't realize the struggle, the five years of, you know, thousands of people showing up and the struggle. And I think we really have to mend the ties. Even though we won the battle, we haven't really won the battle with the police. You know, they're still uh, angry that they lost the battle with the bike community. Mind repeating that information again one more time so our listeners get it, Bill? Sure. I mean, you can go to any group bike ride. I mean, anytime you go to a group bike ride, it really brings out safety, new bike riders. It encourages people to ride. But the big ride that happens in every city in the world is called the Critical Mass Bike Ride. And it's going to be every Friday, pretty much 7 p.m. at Union Square Park North, New York City. Excellent. Thank you. And, uh, Tom, before we go, uh, folks who want to get involved with your organization, what can they do? Please email info at transalt. Uh, we are a grassroots advocacy organization. We have borough volunteer committees uh, in every borough. Uh, we work on over 50 Safe Streets campaigns citywide. Uh, and the more people get involved, the more we can make our streets safer uh, quickly. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining me. Uh, and now we turn now busy day today. This is why you should get to WBAI. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, uh, we're honored here to have our activist public advocate, Jamani Williams, joining us here on, uh, on the line. And Jamani, NYC has been roiled by blackouts recently, you know, um, uh, and at the same time, Con Ed, maybe you don't know this, listeners, Con Ed is asking the Public Service Commission to raise your electrical rates by more than 10%. Um, and, Jamani, I think I take it you think you feel that they're acting in the interest of investors rather than customers? Uh, this week has just been pure nonfeasance, malfeasance, inept management, whatever you can say. Um, they are a billion-dollar-a-year company. That's their profit. Mm -hmm. So they're, the only people who haven't suffered are the people who invest in this. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone else has been suffering. And they have the audacity to ask for a rate hike for a fix uh, that would have prevented the Manhattan blackout when they decided to use $300 million for something else. They made a conscious decision not to make that fix. Every New Yorker should be outraged 
about what's happening here. Con Ed has just failed multiple times. And I understand yes, not, there's not going to be any public hearings. What can folks do that, that want to oppose these, these rate hikes and, and stop them and demand better service? You know, surprisingly, it doesn't happen very often, but I'm on the same page as uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo here. Oh, um, something. They have so many questions to answer. And really, we should begin the process of taking away their ability to operate in New York City. It's a long process. I think we should start it now. I think people should start raising their voices and asking for that to happen. And we should start the process. If they can, for some reason, answer those questions, then we can stop it. But we have to stop talking about it, and we have to show that we mean business. Yes, part of their plan yesterday was to take 30,000 people offline. No kind of advance notice. No one knew that this was part of their plan. You put so many people's lives at risk and no communication. Now you want a rate hike. Mm. That, that doesn't confuse. Well, thank you, Jamani. We'll have to have you on for a longer interview in the future. Uh, that about does it for this evening's bro- broadcast. Um, you have been listening to the Evening News on WBAI 99.5. I'm Peter Rue, and I'd like to remind listeners a pledge drive is underway. To support people-powered media like this news program, please visit give2wbai.org, text 41. 41- 